Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I'm the host of the show where I have conversations with Olympic athletes, hopefuls, and legends on their story and path to the games. Today, we have the incredible Ruben Gonzalez, four-time Olympic loser. He is now a current public speaker, a best-selling author, a just all-around incredible person, and we have a great, great conversation on how he got to the games, what he did to get there, and pretty much how essentially anyone can do it. I know it doesn't sound great when I say it like that, but those are pretty much his words, not mine. And I think he did a great job at selling how he did it, what he did, and and the reasons why he did it. So Ruben was awesome to talk to. You can obviously tell he's very charismatic. Uh, he can obviously tell he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. So it was a lot of fun to have this conversation, and I'm really glad that you all get to hear it. So without further ado, here is Ruben. All right, today, special guest, Ruben Gonzalez, a four-time Olympic loser, born July 26, 1962 in Campana, Argentina. I think I got that right. Ruben lived in Queens and Venezuela, but spent most of his time in Houston, Texas. Graduated from Houston Baptist University with degrees in chemistry and biology. Took up luge at the age of 21 while and was inspired while watching the 1984 Winter Olympic Games. Trained in Lake Placid in Europe. Qualified for the 1988, 1992, 2002, and 2010 Olympic Games. He was the torchbearer at the 2002 Salt Lake Games and is currently a public speaker and a published author. Ruben, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. The pleasure is mine. I've never been to the Olympics four times, so I'll, uh, I'll live vicariously through you and your story. I hope that's cool with you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, see, you, you get to do it without breaking any bones. That's well, great yeah. Way to do it. I like I like the way you think. Let's let's spin it positively. Um, awesome, man. Well, yeah. Like as I said, you've uh, you've lived in multiple countries. Uh, you've grown up in multiple places. Lived in Texas. Congratulations for getting through that. Um, tell me about growing up and, and eventually moving to the United States. So, what was Argentina like? Well, I was six, uh, so I don't remember that much from living there. But we went and visited many times over the years. Argentina is like if I dropped you in Buenos Aires, you would swear that you're in in Europe. It's a very European um, architecture. Um, everybody's either from Spain or from Italy, their background. So you swear you're in, in, in Europe. Um, my dad was a chemical engineer with Exxon. We got transferred to the States back in 1968. Uh, things were getting really bad over there. A lot of people disappearing and awful economy. And uh, so he, even though he didn't speak much English, he said, you know, let's, let's get out of here. Uh, let's go to the land of opportunity. And it's funny, my great-grandparents did the same thing at the turn of the century. They left Italy because things were getting bad. And um, my mom would always tell me, you know, we are, uh, we're dreamers, right? We're willing to give up something good for the, the promise of, or the possibility of something great in the future. And so um, that's kind of our, our thing in our family. If it works for you, man, if it keeps, if it works, just keep going with it. Right. I love that. That's fantastic. So you moved to the States when you're relatively young and you lived in Queens. Yeah. Queens, New York for a couple of years. And yeah. I was an oil brat. Uh, you know, people in the oil business, kind of like the military, they moved a lot mm-hmm. and um, ended up in Houston for a long time. Never really liked Houston because it's, I love uh, great people, Great restaurants, but just too much traffic and mosquitoes and the humidity is brutal. I always wanted to move in the mountains. And 10 years ago, we moved to Colorado Springs and we live out in the country in Colorado. And this is heaven. I just love it out here. That's awesome. You, 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 you 
hated Houston so much, you decided to go to college there as well. Um, Houston Baptist, as I said, you got a degrees in chemistry and in biology. Um, I'm not a chemist or a biologist, but both of them at the same time sound pretty difficult. Um, well, I was pre-med. Uh, okay, okay. They, my parents just pushed, pushed, pushed for me to be a doctor. I was the oldest one. I'm the guinea pig. And um, I did chemistry biology because I like science and I wanted to get them off my back for four years. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I'm telling people I'm saving lives by not being a doctor because you don't want me operating on you. And, uh, and so uh, got into sales, sold copiers in Houston for a long time. And about three months before the Salt Lake City Olympics, which is 2002, a little kid in my neighborhood asked me if, uh, if I'd be his show and tell project in school when I came back. I thought, sure, why not? Well, when I got to the school after the Olympics, the principal had turned it into an assembly, and uh, I thought I was going to die. There's 200 kids there. He says, you got 45 minutes. I said a little prayer. I said, God, what do I do now? And what I felt I needed to do is just tell them your story and give them some tips on how they can reach their dreams. And afterwards, he said, Ben, you're better than people we pay. You need this for a living. It went on and on. I thought, I actually asked him, well, you get paid for show and tell? <laughs> he said, no, man, it's a speaking profession. Don't you know anything? Well, he was so on my face about it that three days later, I quit my job. I figured if I can sell a copier, I can sell a Reuben too. And I just started hitting the phones. And uh, I'm really good at marketing and sales. And so I built a business. And the first year and a half was mostly schools. And it became more and more uh, corporate. And I do tons of sales kickoffs because uh, my story just takes people's excuses away. And uh, they walk out thinking, if that guy can go to the Olympics, we can do anything. And now they're ready to call their chicken list. <laughs> the That's awesome. <laughs> that is too funny, man. I love that. Look at that. It's, it's just, it's crazy to me how things happen randomly, but I don't believe in random. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, you know, that little kid asking you to be a show and tell project, which is, crazy in its own right um turned into you know an entire career an entire yeah. entire business for you um yeah. and a life that you love which i think is just absolutely fantastic uh you might have got there some other way but uh it, thankfully you got there in in the way you did at the right time so yeah. um so let's go back to 1984 though so you were watch you were, you were 21 watching the 1984 olympics and you decided this sport looks like something I would like to do. And I've watched Luge before. And as, as we said before, we hopped on and um, re started recording. The, uh, it's, it's a crazy sport. And most people really only watch it two or three days out of every four years. Um, what was it about the sport that you were watching well, that you said, this is what I have to do? Actually, I didn't even see the Luge. If I'd have seen it, there's no way I would have done it. That's too crazy. But <laughs> I, when I was 10, I saw the Olympics on TV. And I thought, man, that's what I want to do. And, but it was a pipe dream because I'm not a great athlete. I'm, I got a lot of heart. I'm kind of like Rudy, you know, the movie Rudy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of heart, but no body, right? I'm a slowpoke. And so uh, I was always the last kid picked for, for PE in sports. And um, so it was a pipe dream. I mean, I'm not getting picked to play kickball and be in the Olympics. Give me a break. Talked about it, you know, read about all the stories. It was always back there, but nothing. And then on, in 84, I'm watching the Sarajevo Winter Olympics on TV, and I see Scott Hamilton, the figure skater, win the gold medal. And he's about 110 pounds soaking wet. I thought, if that little guy can win, I can at least play. I'll be in the next ones no matter what. It's a done deal. I just got to find a sport. 
And so I went to the library and I went through the list of the summer sports. It took me five minutes to realize, man, you got to be a super athlete doing this stuff. There's no way. And then I started looking at the winter sports and my nickname in high school was Bulldog because I was always very tenacious. And so after looking at those winter sports, I started thinking, you know, I'm about to put together a plan for the next four years. It probably would make sense to base the plan on my strengths. I'm not a great athlete, but, um, you know, I got to find a sport with a lot of broken bones, maybe a lot of quitters, and I won't quit, right? Make that Bulldog's, you know, um, tenacity work for me. I had it down to ski jump, bobsled, and luge. I've never skied before living in Houston, so forget yeah. that. Suicide. <laughs> Bobsled, where are you going to find three other nuts, right? You got to go to Jamaica for that. And uh, that left the luge. And I just had a picture of a guy on a luge. I'd never even seen it on TV. I wrote Sports Illustrated a letter to ask them, where do you go learn how to luge? They said Lake Placid, New York. And uh, I called them up. At first, they wouldn't take me. I said, you're, you're nuts, man. But we start them off when they're when kids are eight, nine, 10 years old, you should have 10 years experience. There's no way. And I wouldn't take no for an answer. I figured if I hang up the phone, it's all over. So hanging up's not an option. I start telling my life story, like a podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happened to tell him I was born in Argentina. He does a 180. He says, if you'll go for Argentina, we'll train you because we're really close as a sport to getting kicked out of the Olympics because we're not global enough. Mm-hmm. Canada and a handful of European countries. So we'll train you. You'll travel with us. We'll even lend you a sled the first year. Eventually, you got to get your own stuff. Uh, but we're going to have to cram 10 years of lose training into two years so that the second two years, you can be in the World Cup circuit uh, racing against the best in the world because you don't get to waltz in just like because mm-hmm. you're from Argentina. You still have to be in the top 50 in the world. You have to qualify. But we're going to cram all this. We're going to move you up so fast, you're going to get hurt a lot. So will you go for Argentina? And I said, man, I'll go for anybody. I don't care. I just want to be in the Olympics. He goes, okay, well, before you come to Lake Placid, you know two things. Number one, you want to do it at your age in just four years? It's brutal. Nine out of ten people quit. When he said that, I started smiling. I thought this mm-hmm. was right into my plan. This is awesome. I said, what's the second thing? He said, expect to break some bones. I said, great, man. He thought, man, are you crazy? I said, look, I hope it's 10 times harder than what you tell me because I, I'm not a quitter. And so I went, and it was brutal, and I broke my, you know, bunch of bones over the years. But my, the first two years were really hard. Um, but my mindset going in, I put on mental armor because I knew it was going to be tough, right? And so my mindset going in was a broken bone is a temporary inconvenience because bones heal. 40 days later, it's going to be stronger, Right. And so where other people were getting hurt and not getting hurt nearly as badly as I was because they were rushing me, I just kept coming back. And, um, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before the Calgary Olympics, 1988, I cracked into the top 50 and I got to go. And so, um, you know, it's crazy. I mean, a kid that, you know, so when I tell that from stage, people walk out thinking, man, you know, I can do more, Right. And, and it opens up possibilities in their mind and they wake up in the middle of the night and they start figuring out, you know, ways to actually go for something that, uh, you know, where their fear of failure and fear of the unknown is what holds people back. Right. And it's just mm-hmm. a smoke screen. And yep. if you face your fear nine times out of 10, you know, you realize, Hey, that wasn't that bad. And so, so now I'm other people, Scott Hamilton. That's what, what turned out. Happening. I love it. I love it, man. It's, it's, that's a great story. I mean, yeah. One thing, what's on the other side of fear nothing um you know so that's always very important and yeah it is it's it's awesome that you have been able to 
Well, first off, it also sounds like you saved the sport of luge. Let's just start there. I uh, <laughs> just, just want to point that out. There was a very, very quick, uh, quick sentence you had there, but it sounds like you might have saved the entire sport, which is pretty incredible. Um, and I think it's just great. I mean, just the fact that it was more the fact that you wanted to be in the Olympics and compete on that stage and, and, and have that in your life than it was whatever sport you were competing in. I'm sure yeah. if you skied once or twice before, you would have said, well, I've skied before, so let me go ski jumping, you know? So I think it's just pretty fantastic that you found something that you wanted to do and didn't literally did not give up and broke bones, as you said, along the way and watched a lot of people around you quit and you made it to where you got to. So I think yeah, I, I, I paid myself. I, I really do. It worked out. <laughs> it, absolutely. To say the least. Um, so then 88. So then you also made the 2000, the, the 1992 games, the 2002 games, the 2010 games. So there's a few gaps in between there. Um, you told me that you retired however many times at this point. So 88, you didn't retire. You went to 92. What was that like knowing, okay, so the first four years were crazy. You made the Olympics. Now you have to continue to do it, continue to put yourself through that pain, that torture uh, to try and make it to the 92 games now. Well, you know, the, the, the worst one was the first one be, uh, as far as, cause you're learning, right? Mm -hmm. That's when you're getting hurt so much. It's funny. The, uh, the sport of luge is completely dominated by the Germans it used to be the East Germans and the West Germans. They took everything. And then when they came together, uh, they decided to work together instead of imploding. Mm -hmm. And over the last 50 years, they've won 80% of the medals, you know, uh, international medals. I mean, it's total domination. And back in the early days, they wouldn't even give me the time of day. You know, I'd be at the track. Hey, Hans, how you doing? And they wouldn't even, answer it's like I was invisible and I didn't feel I belonged there in the first place because I thought man I've only been sliding a little bit here I'm competing against the best in the world uh you know, I have all this crisis of confidence going on and they made it even worse and then two years after the Calgary Olympics the first one they all warm out up the same day it's like a memo went out right they, they said hey Gonzalez speedy Gonzalez where how are you and I got pissed. I said, man, I've been treating you guys nice for years, and now all of a sudden I'm Speedy Gonzalez? What's up with that? And he said, come here. We need to talk to you. And so they gave me the talk, right? They said, look, we've been doing this. Some of us have been doing this since we were five, okay? We're the best in our town, best in our region, finally made best in Germany. But we're, we got so much depth, we'll be lucky to do two, maybe three Olympics. And then we're going to coach for life because we love the sport. And we're sick and tired of seeing people from all these other countries. They do one Olympics and then they disappear, right? And you know what we call them? We call them Olympic tourists, right? Because they're not committed. We're committed for life. And now we see that you, you know, it's two years after your first Olympics, obviously you're going for, for Albertville. It doesn't matter if you make it or not, okay? But what matters is you're showing respect to the sport, so now we can show you respect. That's why you're Speedy Gonzalez now. And they blew me away. I mean, uh, it, it actually took me a couple of years to, to, to understand what they were telling me, right? Mm -hmm. But now I try to convince other people, you know, at least do two. The first one's going to be all b butterflies, right? Mm -hmm. The second one, you'll, at least you're, you know, you'll be able to focus on your sport instead of being all nervous. Yeah. And I've gotten a few people to, you know, but I just do it nice. I don't do it the German way. <laughs> 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 yeah, by not talking to them for six years and then yeah. finally being able to actually, no, we kind of like you. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is pretty, I understand where yeah. they're coming from, especially if it's something held so close to their country, held so close to their hearts. Um, I can understand yeah. them kind of getting angry at other country or other people from countries that just want to do it one time just to say oh, they did yeah. it. 
I agree too. And so, uh, so I did Albertville, I did Calgary and Albertville. Then I met my wife, right? So I had a brand new dream and I chased her for six years and totally derailed me. So I was done. The sled went in the closet. I was retired. And then we got married, got kids. And so I was done. And then out of the blue, my coach, this big Austrian guy that had uh, went, been world champion three times, he calls me out of the blue. He goes, Ruben, you must come back. Luz needs Argentina, right? They were low on numbers again. I said, forget it, man. I'm done. Thanks for no thanks. I hang up. He keeps calling back. He's a winner, right? He won't take no for an answer. Well, finally, he says, look, I got a, I got a deal for you. I got a camp coming up in Calgary, where one of the tracks is. Uh, Two-week camp. You get yourself to Calgary. I'll take care of room board, track fees. Every time we take a luge run, it's 40 bucks. We take five or six a day. Meanwhile, you know, we're not working, and so all these bills are mounting at home. He, you know, Coach is a super tough guy, and he's also the cheapest guy I ever knew, right? All these years I knew him, he never even bought me a beer. And here he's offered me all this free training. I thought, man, must really need Argentina. And so on the spot, I told him, look, I got a, I got a deal for you, coach. I got a brother, my younger brother. He's seen me go to the Olympics twice, and I've seen the look in his eyes. If that deal goes for him too, hey, we got five years till Salt Lake. Maybe he can learn the sport. Maybe he can crack into the top 50, right? Maybe he can make it too. Well, how old is he? 30 years old. 30 years old, are you crazy? I mean, coach started when he was five. I said, oh, you got to see this guy coach, an incredible athlete. He's not, okay? He's an architect. <laughs> but, but he's mentally tough, and mental toughness is huge in sports. And so he says, all right, bring him along. So I go to my brother, Marcelo. He doesn't even know I'm negotiating for him because he's all on the spot. And he said, you know, I told him, well, look, worst case scenario, you got a free two-week vacation in Canada. He says, yeah, I might die on this vacation of yours, right, Ruben? He goes, yeah, but best case scenario, you might get to go to the Olympics. Think about it. You could be the Olympic architect. And he goes, all right, sounds good to me. So he goes, he actually liked the sport. I white-knuckled it for 25 years. I hated it, but it was my ticket to the Olympics. He actually liked it. He broke a few bones, kept coming back. I mean, we're just a bunch of bulldogs in our family. No chihuahuas allowed. <laughs> and uh, uh, he made it. We made Olympic history, first time two two uh, brothers compete against each other in the men's luge. And so, so that, was, uh, that was Salt Lake City, 2002. And then uh, that kid asked me to be his show and tell project in school. So I quit again, right? I mean, I had three, I'm done. Now my next challenge was build this business. After six, about six years, business was really good. And I got bored again. And I got this seven year itch, you know, most people have a different kind of seven year itch. Mine is I want to go to the Olympics again. <laughs> it's about, that one's probably a little bit better than the other seven year itches. Yeah, so yeah you, you do your thing, man. You I keep doing it. your thing. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I, I found out that no one had ever competed in four winter Olympics in four different decades. And so if I made Vancouver 2010, I would have the 80s and 90s, 2010s and 20, 2000s and 2010s. And so I uh, started training again, and, and, and I was able to make it by the skin of my teeth. But I, I tell people, look, I, don't, I didn't win any medals, but I got to play with the big boys, okay? Mm -hmm. And so uh, for me, that's a – for me and for many other athletes, that's a huge thrill. Because think about it. Whenever a new season starts, NBA, NFL, uh, NHL, whatever, there's only a couple of teams, maybe three or four, that have a chance to even – you know, mm -hmm. make it to the Super Bowl, right? Uh, everybody else is either in reconstruction or they're never going to be there. And so the Olympics is no different. You got to, you know, 10% are the superstars. Everybody else is, you know, maybe another 10%, they're hoping for a lucky day. And, and the other 80%, they're happy to be there. For most athletes, um, 
walking in the opening ceremonies is a gold medal. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're just walking, they're floating, okay? At the Olympic Village, everybody's walking around with a silly grin on their face. I mean, we're in heaven. <laughs> it's great. It's, mean, it's, worth, it's worth the price you pay. Absolutely. It's, it's just such an incredible event. And that's one thing that I um, kind of dislike about the Olympics is that the medals are so focused on. I mean, that's media driven. It is what it is. I understand why we're there. We're trying to win medals. But at the same time, so many of the athletes don't get the recognition just for getting there. I mean, you're top, as you see, you're top in the world at something, you know, literally you are top 50 in the world. You had to go there. Um, and there's a lot of people on the planet and, you know, depending on the sport, it, there's a lot of people that play in those sports. So I think it's just incredible. Um, the opportunity to get there and be there and compete, as you said, you're competing against the best in the world. So clearly you're one of the best in the world too. I just think it's, it is crazy it, to me. Um, so I love it. In the luge, but this is the same in every sport, but the luge is the only sport that's, uh, timed the only, only olympic sport that's timed to the one one thousandth of a second i mean even at the hundred meter dash it's one 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 hundredth right mm-hmm. it's so the margins are so small everything counts even your breathing counts going down the track i mean if you hold your breath which is easy to do when you're scared half to death you're just gonna be tight and slow and uh, you're automatically a half a second slower mm-hmm. so everything and so um uh, Everybody thinks we're a bunch of thrill seekers. The thrill seekers are gone the first year. They're off to skydiving or something else. The, the ones that stick it out have more of an um, analytical uh, engineer type mm-hmm. mentality, right? Because it's, and that's pretty true in, in any Olympic sport, you know, because you have to, you know, you have to become a, uh, you have to master your craft. And that takes a long time. Absolutely. It does. I think it's, it's definitely incredible. Um, what you're capable of doing, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so, you know, thank you for being you and I'll, I'll sit here on this side of the microphone and keep doing what I'm doing. Well, thank you for being you. Otherwise none of this would be happening. Hey man, I'm doing my best. I promise you that. Um, so one, one thing about 2002, you kind of, uh, brushed over it. Um, or actually you didn't even say it. So I'll say it. You were the torchbearer for the 2002 Olympics in Salt Lake and considering I know the United States wasn't where you were born I I feel like it makes sense that this is more of your home country if you spent almost all of your time here you know hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth but I you know I feel like a hybrid I mean I've always felt like you know it's it's funny it's it's like an expat you know somebody American that lives in London or Mm -hmm. or Frankfurt or something you know they just feel uh you know a little bit different right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, they can relate to a lot more people, but not as deeply as uh, somebody that, mm-hmm. that's from there and lives there. It's, uh, but anyways, I, um, the motto for the um, Salt Lake City Olympics was light the fire within. It's actually carved in the, in the torch. And so it was about inspiring other people, lighting their fire, right? Inspiring mm-hmm. other people to go after their dreams. And so somebody must have heard about, about my story because I get this call. Uh, 11,000, no, no, 10,500 uh, people get to carry the torch across the United States. And they're trying, it's just a thing where you started, Hitler actually started this thing in the Berlin Olympics. Hmm. I mean, that was one of his good ideas. Everything else <laughs> was a bad idea. <laughs> but um, uh, it, it was to get the masses involved, right, and create enthusiasm for the Olympics. And so um, out of the 11 or 10,500 people, only... 200 Olympic athletes were going to get to carry it because they're trying to get everybody else involved. Mm-hmm. And so when they called me, I thought, man, I actually told them, man, I'm, never, I'm not even that good. I've never even won a medal, okay? He goes, well, we don't care. You have such an inspiring story. That's why we picked you. I says, great. Well, when's it coming through Houston? And he said, December 5th. 
I said, December 5th, I got a World Cup race in Innsbruck, Austria. I'm still trying to qualify for the Olympics. So you really never know if you made it till about a month out. And um, I'll, I'll be back in, in January. I'll, be, I'll go anywhere in January. I'll go to Alaska. I'll walk to Alaska. Just let me carry that torch. <laughs> and so the lady goes back and must have looked up in her schedule or something. And she comes back. She goes, okay, Kansas City, January 9th. Will you do it? It goes, done, right? And so, so I got to carry it in Kansas City. And so, um, you know, and I tell people, you got to be passionate about, you got to let your passion show, okay? Everybody has the capacity to get passionate about something, but most people hold it in. It's like emotional constipation, right? Well, if I said, oh, darn, I can't do it, that would have been it. But I got a little, you know, excited, and that caused her to go look, and, and otherwise I might not be a torchbearer. That is so cool, right? man. Yeah, when I'm speaking at a leadership event, for example, mm -hmm. I tell them, I says, look, think about your favorite leaders or maybe your favorite uh, uh, high school or college uh, professor, right? They were probably a little bit crazy, right? Like the, like the guy in Back to the Future. <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, part of it was that passion and part of it was they were just, you know, the, you trusted them for some reason. Yeah, right? yep. And maybe you change majors just because they were that kind of person. So that's the kind of person you want to be so people follow you. If you're in sales, sales is a transference of feeling. So, man, if you're not excited about your product, then come across in your, in your, mm -hmm. in your voice. Uh, how do you think they're going to think? You know, I'm going to buy. So exactly. That's important stuff. I, I completely agree. I'm in sales and that's what I do. 90% of my day at other when other, unless I get to talk to people like you and hang out on the internet for oh. a couple minutes. Um, what, what industry? Yeah, what do you tell? So I work with Olympic athletes. I help them with That's sponsorships right. and endorsements, man. That's so right. I, I, and, and keynotes, hopefully I can help you get a couple more of those, but, uh, yeah, oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm selling, I'm selling stories, man. And it's, it's very easy to get passionate about stories because that's something that I love and, uh, getting to see what these athletes like well, yourself, what you've been able to do. It's so much fun and you know, I get pretty excited about it. Two years ago, I got the itch again. Okay. Uh, no one's ever done five Winter Olympics, right? <laughs> in five different, no, they've done five. I know mm -hmm. I've got friends that have done six, but uh, not five in five different decades. Okay, mm -hmm. I mean, that's nuts. And so two years ago, I went to uh, Calgary. I got the itch again. And I thought, you know, I wonder if this old body, I was 55. I wonder if this old body could even handle the G-forces. I mean, you're pulling six Gs on some of those curves. So I went and I was sliding better than ever, right? I'm actually listening to the coaches. I'm applying what they say right away. And I was more relaxed. And they said, man, Ruben, you know, you, you need to get a new sled, though, because my sled was 25 years old. It was that clunker. <laughs> I mean, that was a museum. Well, a month later, they were having a World Cup race in Calgary, right? And so I went. But you have to qualify for these races. So you take five runs. And on at least one of the five runs, you have to be within 5% of the fastest time that run. If you do that, then you get to play on Saturday. And they take care of your hotel and your, and your meals, right? You're racing mm -hmm. for money. For food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not for money, for food. And so uh, I went, and they all, they all laughed. They said, that thing, that, you, know, that's, you can't race on that thing. I said, hey, that's all I got. Well, in order, technology gets, you know, sleds get faster and faster, mm -hmm. right? Mine was old anyways. So, um, in order to qualify, I was going to have to beat my personal best by two-tenths of a second, which is a Ooh, huge yeah. mark. And it's 200 one-thousandths of a second, right? <laughs> and uh, I was able to do it. And I became the oldest person to ever compete internationally in the sport of luge in the history. And so I uh, got a new sled. 
And, uh, but now I've got kids in college and all these bills. And, and so it's tougher, right? And so I need to get a lot more gigs to make it happen. But the cool, so I'm trying to make either Beijing. Beijing's kind of out of the question now just because it's, I haven't been able to train as much as I can. But the coaches said, you, can, you got a shot with that new sled, right? And so, because that sled's a second and a half faster. And so um, you got a shot. And so maybe not Beijing, but the next one is going to be in Italy. It's going to mm-hmm. be in Milan. And uh, who knows, you know, who knows? And so now I'm telling the reason I'm telling you this, since you're such a salesman, I finally have something good that I can offer a company, right? <laughs> because if they sell products to baby boomers, uh-huh. it's perfect, right? It's like, man, Timex, you know, takes a licking, keeps on ticking, right? Or or depends diapers or <laughs> or Geritol. I don't care, man. I can finally cut a deal with a company and we can both win. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. It doesn't get any better than that. At least you're, you can find some humor in that. I mean, if you're willing to uh, sponsor Depends, I'll look up some contact information. I'll CC us on an email and uh, we'll, yeah. we'll get a conversation rolling, man. I promise you that. Yeah. That that Who wouldn't love it? Again, I love selling stories. The reason I got into this, so personal goal of mine is to impact as many people as I can on, in a positive way. I do that through my business by taking Olympians and incredible human beings like yourself, put them in front on the stage, put them in front of the people and put them in front of the companies so they can impact all the people. Cause my story is okay. I'm not going to lie. I like it, but I'm a upper middle class kid from the suburbs. It's really not the easiest story to connect with people. Right? So it's uh, it's something where I can take your stories. I can push you and put you in front of all those people so that I can help even more. So that's my ultimate goal and how I like to do it. And you know, man, I, I love your story. It is pretty fantastic. So <laughs> Good stuff. So you're also a published author of six different books. What was it like? Yeah. I mean, what, what's that process like? I mean, I've always wanted to write a book and I'm in the process oh. of putting some notes down, but six cool. books is a lot, man. Well, how, you out. Yeah. You out. Thank it's you. A, thank you. But, but how have you been able to do so, and, and, and yeah, just like how, tell me that part of the story. Cause that's very interesting yeah. to me as well. So I quit my job. We have a one year old. My wife's a full-time mom. All, so all of a sudden, we got no income and no health insurance. And we're $50,000 in credit card debt from the Salt Lake City Olympics. So everybody says, who's your sponsor, Ruben? Coke, Pepsi, Nike? I laugh. I say, no, Visa and, Ca- Visa and MasterCard. I'll put it on the card. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, but I, I, I felt, you know, hey, if I can sell a copier, I can sell a Ruben, I can make this thing happen. So um, two weeks, so think about this. The Olympics are in February, March, April, May. I'm speaking in schools all over Houston. I'm actually making more money than I made selling copiers. Life is good. But I was so focused on the schools that I forgot that the summer is going to be a little slow, right? School's out. And by then, by, by August, we're on food stamps, three months behind in our house payment, almost lost a house, shot our credit. I mean, top of the world in February and humble big time by August. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I tell everybody in my talks, you got to find a coach or a mentor following somebody's footsteps. I'm not even taking my own advice. I got to find somebody who knows this business. I can tell stories, but I don't know how to build this thing. And so I found a guy in Houston that fit the bill. And he said, uh, okay, we'll meet once a, once a month. You got me for an hour, bring some questions. At the end, I'm gonna give you some homework. If you don't do the homework, we're done. Cause I want, I, I don't want eternal learners. I want action people. I said, man, done. Yeah, 
except I'm on food stamps. I can't buy you lunch, okay? Let's go to Starbucks. You can have anything on the menu as long as it's coffee of the day, all right? Put yeah. as much sugar in it as you want. And he laughed. He said, fine. So the first time we meet, this guy's a big, tough, mean guy, just like my luge coach, okay? I'm such a hard head. It takes a, a big, scary guy to make me do stuff. And so this guy's got this vibe like the Sopranos, man. I'm still, I'm still a little intimidated by him. But first thing he tells me is, I don't care if you're a 10-time Olympian, unless you write a book, no one's going to take you seriously because the author is considered the authority of the subject. He wrote the book on it. And I told him, I can't write a book. I made C's in English, okay? I mean, my parents celebrated when I brought a C. And he says, you got a great story. You write it down. We give it to some A students. They clean it up for you. That's just <laughs> grammar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't think about that. He goes, yeah, it's called editing. So shut up and sit down. <laughs> so I got to writing. And what I realized was first 50 pages of my first book was basically my story, stuff we covered here. And after that, I started writing articles. I realized a, chat, a book is just a collection of articles. They call them chapters, but it's really articles. So if I can write an article a week uh, for a year, I'm going to have 50 articles. I can pick the best ones and, you know, and, and that's it. And so, and, and, I, and you write the articles and story point, story point. So it's entertaining, right? And it's just like preachers, the best preachers on TV, mm -hmm. you know, it's, that's how they deliver their message, story point, story point. And that's how keynote speakers do it. And so that's what I did. And it's called The Courage to Succeed. And uh, it's been translated to about 10 languages. I mean, crazy. It's opened up doors everywhere and sold hundreds of thousands of copies. I mean, I'm, I'm a real best-selling author. I'm not one of these fake Amazon ones, okay? I mean, <laughs> and so, um, you know, thank God I'll listen to the coach. And so that's why you need to follow a coach or a mentor because something that looks like Mount Everest to you, right, like an insurmountable obstacle, it's a piece of cake for them because they've been through that path. Mm -hmm. So I say, no, just write it down. We get to some A students. Oh, my gosh, I can write a book. And so, you know, I've done a bunch of them now. And so um, it's just a process. And once you learn the process, it's a piece of cake. I love it. That, that is true. I, I have a coach who helps with, with what I do. And it's, it, I'll ask him questions and he'll answer it. I was just like, wait, it's that easy? That, that's it? And he's yeah. like, yep, that's it. And I was just like, well, I, I pay you a lot of money and it's very useful. But how did I not think of that myself? Like, it's very yeah. obvious well, sometimes. He, he but knows it. Exactly, yeah, my exactly. Dad, my dad used to say, uh, he, you know, he was trying to talk me to being a doctor. Right? They make a lot of money, Ruben. Come on. He goes, yeah, how come they make so much money? You know, they're only, you're only seeing them for 10 minutes. He goes, because you tell them where, to, where it hurts, and they, they know why it hurts, and they mm -hmm. can fix it. That's why. So you're not paying yep. for the 10 minutes. You're paying them for the 20 years of knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 100%, man. No, I love it. And that's, it's so true. So, yeah, as I said, I'm trying to, trying to write a little book myself just on these stories of the athletes that I've been able to compile over the last year and change awesome. um, and everything that I learned from them. So, essentially, cool. their story perfect, and the points that I learned from it. How perfect is that? Believe it or not. 120 to 140 pages. That's the sweet spot. That I think I can do that. Me. Yeah, anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. And you'll make more money out of two. You know, that's volume one. Yeah, yeah that's right. Got <laughs> a bunch of them. You make a lot more money than one big fat book that nobody wants to buy because it's too scary. I love it. I'll make three volumes. Well, I'll just make a volume a year. How's that? How about that? I'll keep meeting that's incredible people like yourself, learn your story, and we'll keep doing it, man. That is great. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we spoke with, that's kind of been the theme throughout, but you're, you're a professional speaker as well. You spoke for well over a hundred companies after writing the book, how, how quickly did those speaking engagements start to not fall in your lap, but start to come just a little bit easier and people would start it to kind of, time. you notice yeah. I'm working here, I'm folding these mail outs. Okay. I'm 
I mail out to meeting planners. I'm working, uh -huh. baby. I'm multitasking, okay? I love That's it. That's why I asked you if this is going to be on the video or not. You're you know? perfect. You're perfect. For you listeners, you know, we're looking at each other through a Zoom, right? Uh, but, um, you know, uh, this is just an audio recording. And so I, I can get more than one thing done. And so uh, it, that's what it takes, guys. I mean, massive action, massive action. I mean, I've been doing this full time since 2002, and I still have to constantly market myself. Why, Ruben? The phone should be ringing off the hook. Well, uh, think about it. Uh, everybody knows about McDonald's, right? But there's probably 20 McDonald's commercials every day. Mm -hmm. Why do they have to keep marketing? Because you got to keep driving it home. Otherwise, mm -hmm. people pass them up. It's a competition. This is a competition. I love it. I love it, man. This is fantastic. Well, Ruben, I think that's about it. We we got to cover all of it. Um, this was fantastic. Ruben Gonzalez, four-time Olympic loser, incredible person, six six-time author, six-time author, author of six books. Yeah, I don't know how we six. say that. Yeah, Whatever it is. Five, we're working on number six. Yeah. Even better. Uh, it'll it'll be out eventually. And uh, obviously, oh, yeah. a professional speaker, four-time Olympian, as I said, torchbearer, the whole nine, and maybe five-time. I don't know. Five-time Olympian. That'd be pretty cool. I'll cross my you know fingers. What? Three. It's kind of like flowers. You know, they tell you you got you got to arrange flowers in odd numbers. Yeah. You know, it's just like feng shui stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's true, you know, when I was a three-time Olympian, I think that had a much better ring than four-time Olympian. So I got to do five and I got to stop myself. <laughs> five well, Olympic rings, five. Seven, zero. seven would be pretty cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, That'd be difficult, but it'd be kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah I'll, 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 I'll march into the, uh, you'd be able to pick me out when the opening ceremonies, I'll be the one with the walker. Right? I was going to say, you're, 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 you're with the cane, right? Yeah. Got me down the. <laughs> uh, too funny. Awesome. Well, Ruben Gonzalez, thank you so much, man. This was fantastic. Awesome, man. Hey, take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Ruben Gonzalez. As I said, incredible all-around person, four-time Olympian. Yeah, he didn't win any medals, but he got there four times, and he's shooting for a fifth. This guy is awesome. Thoroughly had a great conversation talking to him and getting to hear his thoughts and his ideas and what he does and how he does it. So please, if you can, make sure to follow him on all of his socials. Make sure to follow us on all our socials. Everything is in the show notes. And please also remember to give this show a nice rating or a star or whatever podcast app you use. Just do something that it gets a little recognition. At least subscribe. It's the least you could do. Um, because that helps and that gets these stories in front of more people to help impact more lives, which is what we're trying to do here. So thank you all so much and hope you have a wonderful day.